Welcome, everybody, to this weekend. It is the final episode in our little mini-series called Satisfaction. You know, that mini-series is part of our big series from head to lab, knowing God not just with our mind but also our heart as we journey with the Holy Spirit to the Gospel of John. In the first episode in Satisfaction, we talked about how Jesus brings satisfaction to us through eternal life. In the second episode last weekend, we talked about how he brings satisfaction to us by inviting us into worship, really connecting with God. We talked a lot about what worship is. This weekend, this last weekend, in episode three, I want to talk about satisfaction and I want to continue to address the issue of worship. Because, listen, when you truly worship God, it fills your life with hope. But talking about hope, let's talk for a few minutes about hopelessness. And I want to tell you the story of Martin Pistorius, who grew up in South Africa. He was a healthy, normal kid until age 12. And at age 12, something started happening to his body. It started to shut down all the way to the point where his brain shut down and became totally unconscious in a vegetable state. His parents told him to take him home and he would soon die. But he kept going and going and going, says his mom. Two years later, two years later, his brain woke up. Even though the rest of his body was paralyzed, even though his heart had kept beating during that whole two years and, you know, they kept him breathing, now his mind was fully functioning. The problem was nobody knew because all he could do was open his eyes and stare. And so the doctor said he probably has the intelligence of a three-month-old. And, you know, in this locked-in syndrome, there's nothing more we can really do for him. Can you imagine how frustrated Martin was to hear those words being said to his parents? Can you imagine how frustrated Martin was when he wanted to say so much, but he could not get a word out? He couldn't raise his hand. He couldn't draw or anything. He said he almost went insane. The lowest point was when he and when his mother and father were having a heated argument because of all the stress that was in their life. And she, the mom, looked over at Martin and said, I wish you would die. Can you imagine? Martin said it hurt him so deeply, but he said, I also welled up with compassion because I knew, I knew what my mom must be going through. During that period of time, Martin was also abused physically and sexually. And he could not cry out. There's nothing he could say and nothing he could do. You want to talk about feeling hopeless. I cannot imagine the hopelessness that he felt. What do you feel hopeless about these days? Perhaps you are feeling hopeless about the economy. Perhaps you're feeling hopeless about the pandemic. Perhaps you're feeling hopeless about your own loneliness your own struggle to have a healthy relationship. Perhaps you're feeling hopeless because of a chronic illness that you struggle with. Perhaps you're feeling hopeless because nobody seems to care about you. There are a lot of things that can affect our lives and leave us feeling this way. But you and I, we can have hope. Even when we're going through the valley of shadow of death, we can, you can, have hope. So what is hope? 
We know what hopelessness is. What really is hope? You can jot this down if you want. Real hope is a confidence that what is expected will actually take place. Sounds like faith, doesn't it? It's this confidence that the thing I'm hoping for is going to happen. It's not a whim. It's not crossing my fingers. It's not chance. But I just have this gut sense that it's going to come to pass. That's what, that's what real hope is. Do you have that kind of real hope at work in your life right now? Well, where do you get that hope, right? Where can you find that hope? Well, listen to this. Real hope grows out of worship. As you get closer to God and get a clearer picture of his glory and his grace, you become filled with hope. How can you not become filled with hope? And even if you go through the valley and things don't work out the way you hope they will, you have the hope of his presence with you. For as David said, Yea, though I walk the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Which begs the question, is that really true? Is it really true that you can experience hope in and through worship? I believe it is. Listen to what I want to say to you next. If you encounter the presence of God in sincere and real worship, it is going to fill your soul in this hopeless world with great hope. What are you hoping for? Maybe you're hoping for this pandemic to be over. I'm with you. Maybe you're hoping to find friendship to overcome your loneliness. Maybe you're hoping for a result that says you're in remission. Maybe you're hoping for better days with nice warm weather. I can guarantee that's coming. Maybe you're hoping that the Vikings will be in the Super Bowl next year. I hope so. Seriously, what is it you're hoping for? In this world that we live in right now, with all the chaos that surrounds us, does God really show up? I want to share with you three different stories from Scripture. The last one is the lady that we met at the well, John chapter 4. But the first one was a prophet, and more than likely he was also a priest who served God at times within the temple itself. His name is Isaiah, and the story I want to draw your attention to is found in Isaiah chapter 6, 1 through 8. It's kind of a longer passage, so I'm going to read it, and you're welcome to follow along. Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. He was in the temple. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered the faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, it's all over, or woe is me in the old King James Version. It's all over. I am doomed. <clears throat> Why? He says, because I am a sinful man. And he gets real specific. He says, I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. 
Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and said, See, the coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, Here I am. Send me. Wow, what an amazing story. What an amazing experience Isaiah went through there in the temple. He had this vision, this sense of God's powerful and holy presence. He became so aware of his lack of holiness, his need for God. Listen, to find hope in our worship of God, we also have to see the sin that lies within our hearts. Many years ago, after Marsha and I had first gotten married, I went into a little spare bedroom that we had in the place we were living to really seek God. It wasn't something I just suddenly decided to do, but it had been really pressing on me. So I really committed myself to staying there all night if I needed to, but I wanted to break through. I, I wanted to have an experience with God. I didn't hear any voices. I saw no vision, no image. However, the room that I was in became intensely bright, brighter than it had ever been. It wasn't a surge in electricity. Something else was going on, and it affected me in lots of ways, from fear to, to joy, from dread to expectation. I spent my time with God, and when it was over, then I walked out into our hallway, and I felt absolutely assaulted by darkness. I mean, Darkness like evil's presence. And what bothered me is that that evil presence is there all the time. But most of the time, I'm unaware of it. It It's only when I became truly aware of God and his holiness in that experience that I became aware of the evil and the darkness that was around me. And sometimes I worry because we don't spend time with God, we are in his presence, so to speak, then all of a sudden we begin to see the darkness as light. Isaiah talks about that. Back one chapter in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, he says, What sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil, that dark is light and light is dark, that bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. What sorrow for those who are wise in their own eyes and think themselves so clever. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying, I feel sorry for people who are confused about darkness and light, who want to call good evil and evil good. That's our world today, isn't it? The truth is whatever you want it to be, which is ridiculous. Unless God is the source of truth and God's word is the truth, we are living in darkness. We are following darkness. I read a story this week of a law that's been passed in Canada. So my prayers go out for all of our Canadian viewers. And the law basically says that biblical morality is a myth. That any teaching that the Bible's definition of normal morality, normal sexuality, any teaching like that, you're breaking the law. You can spend up to five years in prison because of that. It's absolutely ridiculous. It's hard to imagine that even happening in North America these days. 
But see, there's an example of trying to change the truth, trying to make lies truth and truth lies. In a day like we're living in right now, we desperately hope as we go through this kind of experience together, we need to cling to the word of God. We need to believe who God is. And in order to do that, like I said, in order for that to happen in our lives, we've got to be in worship because worship connects us to God and worship connects us to the truth. And worship allows us to know what that truth is, who God is, so we know what evil is, so we know what darkness is in this world. Look, to find hope in our worship of God, what's it say we have to do? We must see him for who he is in order to see ourselves for who we are, unworthy and sinful. And you might be thinking to yourself, but that doesn't sound very hopeful if I have to look at myself and see what I really like. But you see, there's great hope in all of that. And the hope that Isaiah found was this beautiful hope of God's grace and his forgiveness. That's the beauty of it. When I see the ugliness in my life, God comes to me and says, I want to take that away for you. And while, you know, the seraphim takes the coal from the altar and touches Isaiah's lips and says, you are forgiven and clean. God touches our lives with the blood of his son from a different kind of altar. And he declares us forgiven and clean and perfect. Do you know the power of forgiveness? You know, this weekend and last weekend, there's a lot of emphasis in the Christian community about the sanctity of life, of every life, even the life of the unborn. And there's a gracious lady who's part of Wooddale Church that wants to share her story, how she went through tremendous pain and guilt and shame, but was touched by God's grace and experienced his forgiveness. Watch this.
40 years ago, I had an abortion. I was 18 pregnant and had nowhere to turn. So the person I turned to was our family counselor whom we visited often. I thought being a counselor, he would give me the right answer to my pregnancy. He handed me an abortion uh, pamphlet and I felt that was the only option that there was. So I went ahead and went through with it. I, what I didn't know was that I would have a lifelong pain, guilt, and shame that I would have to deal with. Over the next 20 years, I would see billboards of when a, an unborn child's heart first beats and when an unborn child smiles. And I heard conversations about people who were pregnant and having children. And each time I heard those, I would feel more guilt and more shame and more pain. I just continued to push them down deeper and deeper, thinking that it would just go away, but it never did. When my daughter was three, I met a woman at her dance class, another mom, who invited me to her Bible study. I was going to Bible study for three years when I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. At that point, my life changed. I had found God's love and forgiveness as my life was falling apart around me. Since then, I've been able to help post-abortive women find Jesus and accept God's love and forgiveness so they can also be healed. Isn't that a powerful story of how God works? He wants to do that for all of us. He wants to do that for you. He wants to do that for me. He wants us to take that hope and that message to those who are around us. You know, if you look at this passage of Scripture that we just spent some time in, you'll find a pattern. Let me just identify it for you. First of all, you have to have a right vision of God. Isaiah had a right vision of God, and Nina had a right vision of God. Secondly, you you know, that moves you as you see God for who he is and who you are, it moves you to confession. And number three, it's giving God my sin, turning it over to him. His forgiveness floods my heart. It's just there waiting. I've got to ask for it. But here's what I love, this last one, and then, and then it leads to obedience. Isaiah said, I know you need somebody to go preach a hard message. I'll do it. I'll go, God. Nina said, I know people need to know about the love and forgiveness of God, especially women who've been through an abortion. And I want to go in obedience and let them know. And he's, she's let all of us know. And so I hope that if this is an area in your life where you have, have a past, especially ladies, but men too, but you ladies and you're struggling, I hope you know that there's a God who's waiting for you with mercy and forgiveness. If we can help you some way, we want to do that. All right, that's Isaiah, okay? Let's now look at another character in the New Testament. If you'll turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 7, we encounter a man named Stephen. Now, Stephen was a godly, godly man, a leader in the early church. He was a profound, 
preacher as well. And one day he preached a message that was certainly Holy Spirit anointed, inspired. And it angered the religious leaders because he was pointing his finger at them and saying, you are guilty of crucifying the Messiah. You are guilty of laying the law on the people as an impossible burden to bear. And he lays out the whole history. Read that sermon in Acts chapter 7. It's so infuriated the Sanhedrin, which, by the way, is the same group that condemned Jesus for blasphemy, for claiming to be the Son of God. It so angered them that they dragged Stephen out to stone him. They've had enough. And I want to pick up the narrative with you in Acts 7. It says, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, remember we talked about gazing last weekend, intently looking, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. That's what pushed these guys over. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. That is amazing. And I want you to know the only way Stephen could have done that cry out and ask God to forgive those who are stoning him. It's because he had a worship experience with God. He encountered God, and that freed him to suffer, and to suffer boldly with grace and forgiveness. Listen, to find hope in our worship of God, we must practice worship in real time. Say, what do you mean by that? Well, worship isn't something I reserve for Sundays or, you know, for 15 minutes in the morning or 15 minutes in the afternoon. Worship has become a lifestyle. We are a practice with continuance, this idea of God's presence, that we are always living in his presence. It didn't matter where Stephen was. He could worship God. He could be in the worst crisis of his life, and he could worship God. He could be in the best moments of his life, and he would worship God. I want to encourage you to learn with me how to practice the presence of God. How to be aware of God so that we're always in kind of a state and a mindset of worship. Which means gazing at his presence, being aware of who he is. And what did, you know, what was the benefit of Stephen's worship? The benefit was courage and grace. The courage to die for Christ and the grace like Jesus on the cross, Father, forgive them if they know not what they do. Stephen's saying the same prayer. Lord Jesus, forgive them for what they're doing. Wow. I mean, could you do that? Honestly, could you do that? I don't know if I could unless I truly had a vision of God and was deeply aware of his holiness and his presence. You know, to put it this way, Worshiping God in a moment gives us courage to face our darkest valleys and grace to forgive our worst enemies. I pray that for you, and I pray that for me. All right, one more example. Let's take a look at this lady one more time, the Samaritan woman who's at the well with Jesus, and she's heard about eternal life, and she's discovered that he <clears throat> is the Messiah, now she has a choice. She can either believe it 
or she can laugh at it. Let's read what happens in John chapter 4. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for a few days, two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. It is such a powerful story. You ever heard of that, um, that saying, if you're, you know, if you're on fire, stop, drop, and roll? Well, in a sense, when this woman really encountered Jesus and believed that he was the Messiah, she stopped, she dropped her jar, left it there. Who cares about the bucket? Who cares about the water? And in the heat of the day, she runs all the way back to tell. Stop, drop, and run. (laughs) Run to tell what God has done for you and what God can do for others. It's an amazing, it's an amazing picture. Look, one of the sure signs of encountering Jesus in worship is you cannot keep quiet about him. Which, let's be honest, probably reveals a lot about our worship of God. Because it's one of the telltale signs that you're encountering him. You cannot keep quiet about it. I guarantee you, if you went home today and God showed up in your room and spoke to you and blessed you and loved on you, physically, you would not be able to keep that to yourself. You'd be compelled to tell others, there is a God. This is who he is. This is what he said. Here's what he can do. So for us to be more effective in our outreach, we have to be effective in our worship of God. And like I said last weekend, nothing kills kindness more than hurry. Nothing kills worship more than hurry which means I have to believe God is so great, so powerful, he is worth. Remember we talked about that? He is worth all the time that I give him. He is worth all the worship that I bring to him. What is he worth to you? How has he changed your life to a point that you can't keep quiet about it? You know, John, in verse 32, it says, Jesus saw his disciples who came right as the woman was leaving. They were a little bit perturbed with Jesus for talking to a strange woman, especially Samaritan, but they didn't really want to say anything. They brought groceries back from the village that she was now running to. And Jesus looks at them. He says, I have a kind of food you know nothing about, which just totally confused these guys. Did she bring him some food? You know, did the angels bring him some food? You know, here we come with food. He sent us into the town, and now he tells us he's not hungry. And of course, Jesus was using that as an opportunity to teach them, look, I know what you think is important in life, but more important in life than even food is worship and sharing who God is and what I'm about to do with those who are around you, Samaritan, Gentile, Jew, it doesn't matter. That's what ultimately matters. That's what's most important. Listen, people 
who truly encounter God in worship discover their ultimate purpose in life is to bring the hope of Christ to those who are searching for satisfaction in life. That summarizes our whole series, doesn't it? If you have truly encountered Christ, you discover your purpose in life. And ultimately, that purpose is this, to let others know about God's love. That's your purpose. That's my purpose in life. No matter what we do for our vocation, our vocation is just there to give us an opportunity to make known who God is and what he's done. Jesus said, look, the harvest is plentiful. There's all kinds of people that God's working on. They're ready to be harvested. Go be a harvester. Go make the truth known to them because of what I've done for you. And it's worship that stokes that passion and stokes that desire in our lives. How about you? Are you ready to go and tell people about this God that you have a daily encounter with through worship? It doesn't take a lot to bring hope to others. Martin Pistorius was unconscious in the sense that he couldn't see, couldn't hear, he couldn't speak. And then all of a sudden his brain woke up and he still felt hopeless because now his brain was fully functioning, but he couldn't, he couldn't talk, he couldn't share. He, he felt like a ghost. I mean, he nearly went insane until one day a new employee, an aromatherapist, came to the place where Martin was kept every day. And for some reason, she just sensed by looking at him, and she would talk to him all the time, that he was understanding what was being said. And so she compelled the parents and the doctors to send him to some special tests where they're able to find out by your eyes and its movement ever so little whether you're conscious or not, whether you can communicate or not. Make a long story short, the specialist took a look at him, administered the test, and became convinced Martin is fully conscious. He can communicate. And they taught him to use a computer software program, using his eyes and letters, creating words, and the conversation began. Not only did the conversation began, but he started getting some feeling back to where he could now actually move his torso and move his hands. And you know what? He also finished his degree in college and he started his own business. And listen to this. He got married. And they said he would never have children. They're now raising, he and Joni, their son Sebastian. I listened to him give his testimony. He was sitting in a wheelchair, unable to talk, but using the computer. And it is very powerful. And one of the things that just moved my heart was how he acknowledged it was just, it was just a few people a handful of people who, in their minds, probably didn't think they were doing much for him that began to build hope. The aromatherapist who insisted they have him tested. A man who walked by, he said one day, when he was in his lowest moments, a stranger walked by the car because his dad had run in to get something. And the man stopped and looked at Martin and smiled at him. Martin said, Martin said it was life-changing. Martin says, I'll never forget the first time somebody called me a man not just a blob of humanity, 
by an actual person. And when his wife, who happened to meet him through his sister in a chat, when his wife was interested in him and wanted to know more about him, and he went all the way to London to meet her, and one thing led to another, and they got married. It's all these little touches of hope that changed his life. He said the greatest thing that changed his life is when he came to Jesus Christ by faith in that state where he still, nobody knew he was really able to communicate. When he was conscious of everything around him, he said it did not lead him toward anger toward God ever. He said it actually led him to God. And he said, and the only way I knew how, because I was not raised in a Christian home, and the only way I knew how, I surrendered myself to God's will. And he said, that's when I found peace and lost that sense of insanity. I hope you know how much God loves you. I hope you know that he is with you. I hope you will find in him your ultimate satisfaction. Father, we thank you so much for the hope that you have given us through Jesus. God, I pray, help us to grow in our hope as we spend more and more time in worship of you. And God, give us the kind of hope you gave that Samaritan woman who said, you know, who ran to her village and told everybody about you. God, I pray, let us so encounter you that we do the same thing unashamedly, peacefully, joyfully talk about our relationship with you. And I hope that that brings. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Wow, what a beautiful message from Pastor Dale about God's hope and restoration. But if we're honest, we need God's hope. We need God's restoration, especially when hard things happen in life. Nina's story was so moving. And I wonder if maybe there was a difficult situation that has come to the surface while you listened today. If that's the case and we could help you, we would love to do just that. And we can know that we can help you by you sending an email to the address that's right there on the screen, pastoral.care at wooddale.org. I know, and I can speak as a pastor myself, this is why I'm in it. I want to help people with the tough things of life. So please send an email today. And just for future, if you want care or prayer on a regular Monday through Friday, we have a pastor that's on call each day on the Eden Prairie campus, Monday through Friday. So please just come in and we would love to talk and pray with you. If you're watching live and online right now and you want prayer, we have prayer partners that are standing by. You would just need to click the prayer button right there on the screen and you will be prayed for today. But until then, may we all seek God's hope and restoration and be thankful that we can have it.